You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, good morning, Midtown family. Great to worship with you guys this morning. I hope that you guys had a great spring break. Those of you who were able to take somewhat of a break, hope you enjoyed some time with friends and family. Uh, those of us who did not get spring break, like myself, thank you for leaving because I had one week of no traffic. That was awesome. Really grateful for you all leaving. Um, we're going to continue uh, today in our series of Philippians, which I'm really excited about. Before I do, though, I just wanted to welcome you, particularly if you're a visitor, if you're someone who's new to Midtown or visiting for the first time. My name's Justin. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Midtown and would really love to meet you afterwards. So come say hi. Really glad that you've made it here to join us this morning. And welcome all to all of our Midtown partners and regular attenders. It's great to be here again with you guys. As we do sometimes on uh, Sunday mornings, we'll give like a family announcement, like a little update. You heard us say, like we say it all the time, like our vision, and we say that we're a family, like it says right there, that we're loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other in Austin with God. And so we're a family. And so one of the things that good families do is they talk about like how the family's doing, like they have family updates and talk about what's happening with the family. And sometimes that means like giving like a financial update. And so what I want to do just to speak to you guys as a family, not necessarily you visitors, but you guys who are part of Midtown, just to give you a little bit of update, because we had a a meeting, our last elder meeting, we got kind of a financial update. In February, or January and February, giving was was down considerably, and so we're right now about $8,000 behind where we wanted to be, and so we just wanted to announce that just to make you aware of that, uh, because as family, we feel like you guys should know, and in the past when we've let you guys know, it's been really fun to see how the family of God has responded and helped us. Uh, cover that deficit. And so I would encourage you just to take that information, uh, pray about it, and think about maybe making a special gift or maybe increasing giving for a time, or if you've not been a regular giver, to just set up some online giving and help us kind of recover from this as a family. So thanks for letting me make a family announcement. Uh, We're not going to take a second offering. Notice we did this after the first offering, so this is not any way to try to get anything except to say, hey, you guys who are really part of Midtown, we're a family, man, and let's, let's think about some ways that we can contribute to help cover this deficit. Uh, I know you guys will, because we were in the same spot last year, and, and it happened again where, where y'all covered it, so we're grateful. Pray about that with us. Now to the fun, talk about the sermon. I want to give you guys a couple questions to start with. Uh, hopefully, it'll help you kind of get thinking along with me and what we're going to be looking at today. And so my first question is this. Have you ever experienced like a, a time in your life when you were on what you call like a spiritual high? like a real spiritual high. So maybe it was a time like after a conference or a mission trip or a retreat. Maybe it was a time when for whatever reason, when you're, when you're reading God's word, just the pages, the words are just jumping off the pages like into your heart or you would describe it as a time where you just felt like an increased like intimacy with God. Uh, maybe it was a time when you actually got involved in a new church or a small group of people that you're like, wow, these people are really helping me walk with God. Or it could even be that actually your, your spiritual high wasn't actually a time of a severe trial, something really difficult you're going through, but in the midst of it, there was this closeness with God that he was with you in your suffering. Have you ever experienced some spiritual highs? What about a second question? Have you ever experienced a spiritual low, like a low point in your life spiritually, where maybe it was just a time where it just felt like it was really dry, or times when you would go to read the Bible or to pray, and it just kind of felt monotonous, or like you were just kind of hitting the ceiling? Ever experienced like a spiritual low? Or maybe it's somewhat related to your distancing yourself from Christian community and getting out of touch with the friends that were actually helping you walk and, and days turned into weeks, turned into months, and you've kind of grown distant. Or maybe it was like a, a sinful habit or something in your life that you allow just to kind of rule 
uh, your life in a certain way, and you would look at that and say, that was a time in my life where there was a real spiritual low. I'd assume that we've probably experienced highs and lows, but how many of you have actually experienced multiple highs and multiple lows? Like, that would be my third question. How many of you, it's like the roller coaster ride of your faith, right? You say, yeah, I've had some real highs, I've had some real lows, and it just kind of goes up and down some years, and some years it's not. And have you experienced that? Am I the only one that's experienced some highs and some lows? Well, if that's the case for you, then I think that the passage we're looking at today is going to be really, really applicable to our lives. Because Paul's going to lay out, like, here's my goal, here's where I want to be. And he's going to say, here's how I'm going to try to avoid these pitfalls, and I'm going to try to move in a steady path of growth and walk with God. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Before I do, let me pray, and let's invite God to speak to us. Father, we do want to know Jesus. We want to become more like him. Um, Even if we can't say that with full integrity, we probably can say we want to want to be like him and to know him. So today we pray that you would deepen our desire uh, for us to be like you and to know you. Show us how to deepen that desire, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to each person individually. Even in answering those questions, we know that we all answered them differently and thinking about different times, and you know us each individually, so we invite you uh, to minister to us and meet us and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing we want to do is talk about what the goal was. We actually looked at this verse last week, but I think it really helps us kind of set up where we're going with the verses that we'll look at the rest of our time today. And that's the goal. What was Paul's goal? His goal was to know Jesus and to become more like him. Stated really clearly in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is his lifelong goal, to know Jesus, to know him so much, and not just to know about him, but to actually know him. You can see it by the words and the ways he describes how he wants to know. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. That's an experience. He doesn't just want a head knowledge of who Jesus is. He wants to experience the power of Jesus, the resurrected power of the Holy Spirit in his life, giving him victory over selfishness and sin in his life. He even wants to know Jesus so bad that he wants to know him in his sufferings, that when he's going through suffering at hard times, even as he's in jail, he wants to experience Jesus in his sufferings. And ultimately, he wants to experience Jesus at the resurrection of the dead, because we'll look at this verse a little bit later. What he ultimately wanted was to see that day when he would be face to face with Jesus, and then he would become like him completely, where Jesus could be fully known, and he could be fully made like him. That was his heart. It wasn't just trying to know about him, right? It was to actually experience Jesus, experience knowing him. Y'all know the difference, right? I can tell you a story about myself. Some of y'all know that I'm a a huge UT baseball fan, so I love going to UT baseball games and cheering on the team. And it was real fun. Like over the last like five or six years, we had two of Roger Clemens' sons on the team. And so as a result, like the Clemens family and Roger was there often at the games. And kind of near the back end of the son's years at UT, they actually gave him like a private little section for he and his whole entourage so he couldn't be bothered. But before that, for a couple years, he actually sat like right in front of me. And it was so fun just to have, you know, Roger right there in front of us, cheering on his boys. And I had some, uh, a funny experience one time where two guys that sat next to me, and you could tell they weren't really familiar with UT baseball, and they were sitting there watching the game and yucking it up. And then one of uh, Roger's sons comes up, Casey Clemens comes to bat, and they see his name on the board, and they start talking to themselves like, hey, you think that might be Roger Clemens' son? And I'm just kind of laughing like, God, these guys. And then instead of asking me, like, is that Roger Clemens' son, they tap on Roger's shoulder, and I say, hey, uh, Ro- hey uh, they didn't know his name. He said, hey, is, is that Roger Clemens' son? And Roger kind of graciously turns back and says, yeah, he's one of his sons. 
And I'm like, these guys clearly don't know what's going on here. Like, yes, this is one of the sons. You could say, okay, they don't know Roger, right? Clearly. But what if I told you I know Roger? What would you ask? You'd, put, you'd say, well, oh, yeah, well, tell me about him. You know, tell me about him. And I said, oh, I'll tell you a lot about Roger. Like, he was actually uh, part of the national championship, national championship team at Texas in 1983, helped us win the national championship. He was drafted that next year to the Red Sox. He played the major league for 24 years, um, in, in which that time he won two World Series. He won seven Cy Youngs, 11 All-Star teams. In his career stats, he had a, a 3.12 ERA, struck out uh, the third most batters in major league history. Yeah, I know, Roger. What would you guys say, right? You're like, no, you don't know him. <laughs> you looked at Wikipedia. Like, <laughs> you know about him. That's not the same thing as knowing, right? And this is exactly what we have to get with this whole idea of knowing Jesus. It's not knowing about him. It's knowing him experientially, walking with him in relationship. Because Paul knew something about the spiritual life. He knew that you're not changed by information. You're changed by application. Information doesn't transform us. Application is what transforms us. It's experiences that transform us. It's relationship with Jesus that does its working power. And that's why Paul wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to know Jesus so that he could become more like him. And he knew if only he knew him experientially, could he be changed? And so having a relationship with Jesus in its most simplest form, I would describe it as this, just at least these three things where you are talking with Jesus, you're listening to Jesus, and you're doing what he tells you to do. You're walking out what he directs you to do. Like that's the simplest form of what it looks like to have an experiential relationship with Jesus, to walk with him, to talk with him, to listen to his voice. That's the kind of relationship we want to have, which is why we have to be careful with our Bible reading even sometimes. We have to check our modus in our heart, even in a worship on a Sunday morning to say, I don't want to just come to gain knowledge, but we want to read our Bible in a way to learn to apply it to our lives and experience Jesus through the application of our lives. We want to come on a Sunday morning and not just get knowledge of stuff, but we want to work as a community to walk it out together. Like that's why we're going to experience Jesus as a church. This is how, what it means to grow spiritually, is to know Jesus talk with him, to listen to him, and do what he's leading you to do. And that's really the essence of spiritual formation, spiritual growth, right? It's saying, I want to know Jesus to the degree that which my knowledge of him changes me to become more like him. That's what Paul's saying that he wants right here. Now, at this point, you might be kind of like me, and you're saying, yeah, I want that too, but that seems really difficult, right? <laughs> that seems like a really, really hard goal, like unaccomplishable. Well, in that case, you're in good company because here's what Paul says next in Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have I already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Again, he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I press on toward the goal to win uh, the prize for which God has called me forward heavenward in Christ Jesus. So does that give you some comfort that Paul would say, I'm not there yet. Like he's saying, I'm not there yet. Like, very clearly, like, I do not consider myself yet to have attained it. I don't consider myself to have been made perfect, to have accomplished the goal. Like, I find a lot of encouragement in that because I'm looking at Paul and thinking, this is a guy who, like, really, really knows Jesus. Like Jake said last week, this is 30, 30 years into his spiritual life when he's writing this letter. For 30 years, this guy has pursued this goal of knowing Jesus. He's planted churches and done stuff all over the world. Yet he still says, I've not obtained it. I've not been made perfect. I find a lot of comfort in that because I find myself in the same boat. 
Like think back to the questions that I asked at the start. Have you ever experienced a high? Have you ever experienced a low? Have you ever experienced maybe a plateau? Like even in the midst of those things, it's one way that you're saying, yes, I've not yet obtained it. I've made it my goal, but I've not yet obtained it. That's because the goal of becoming, of knowing him and then becoming like him is unattainable, really. It's unattainable because Jesus himself is inexhaustible. Like we can never know enough about him. Not only that, we can never ultimately become like him here while we're on this earth. He's inexhaustible, which actually gives us great encouragement because he's inexhaustible. It doesn't mean that we just can't reach it, but it also means he's inexhaustible that he can give us the power in his inexhaustibility to continue to grow even if we can't attain the goal. One of the things I love about our church is I know that there's people here who today, here today that are in various parts of their spiritual journey. We have people here today who I know would say they've not yet put their faith in Jesus. We've got people here today who would say, I'm close, but maybe not, or maybe you're a brand new believer. And we've got people here in this room who've actually, like Paul, been pursuing knowing Jesus for 30 years, like all, all amongst us. And I love that. And I love that it just shows that what we have to do is just admit where we are and be willing to take the next step to know him. I was thinking about this this week, particularly after Jake last week told us that it was 30 years of Paul's journey, because I actually put my faith in Christ 30 years ago. So I was thinking, man, this is wild. Paul, 30, 30 years into his journey, he was making this his decree. This is what I want to know Christ. I want to continue to be like him. And thinking to myself, now I'm 30 years into my journey. How am I do, doing pursuing that? And so last night I actually got on the phone and I actually called a, a guy named Bill Fulton. I've talked about him a few times, I think, on a Sunday morning. He discipled me when I was like in my mid-20s. He's actually turning 90 in May. And so I called Bill. You have to talk really loud on the phone with him. <laughs> so I had to repeat myself many times. And I'm like, hey, Bill, how are you doing? You know, what are you doing? And just catching up with him. And I, I just asked him, I was like, hey, so, so what are you doing in pursuing God these days? He, says, he said, oh, you know what I'm doing now? I'm praying the Lord's Prayer every morning. And I've got this prayer list of, of people that I'm praying for every day. And then I always make it a habit to study the Old Testament and New Testament. So I'm studying books at the same time. I just said, man, that's so awesome, Bill. What is it that, that keeps you like pursuing Jesus when you're 90 years old? He says, what do you mean? There's just so much more to learn. He's, there's so much more to grow. And I just thought, man, that's so awesome. And when then he said, he said, have you read Psalm 42 and Psalm 63 recently? And I said, yeah, actually, Jake did our sermon last week, and he led off with those two passages saying, yeah, David longed for him. He said, yeah, so do I. Isn't that awesome? Guy at 90 years old, so far further along in his journey than me, yet he was still like Paul saying, you know what I want most? I want to pursue knowing Jesus and become like him, even at 90 this may cause some of you a, a little bit of apprehension when you think about this goal really being in a, um, unattainable. Um, I know for me, like I'm actually very goal-oriented. So if you've ever done like the strength finders test, my highest strength is achiever, which means basically like you wake up in the morning with a to-do list and you gotta like accomplish something. So like I make the bed right away. So it's like one down, I'm ready to go. Let's go, see what's next. And so it's a quirky little part of my personality. God's made us all different, but I'm very goal-oriented. So the idea of like setting a goal that's unattainable to me is like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would I pursue something that's unattainable? Um, I actually did some research this week and looked up like, what is it like to pursue um, unattainable goals? And basically, it's not, not good. <laughs> so <laughs> so there was all these psychological, you know, stories that said, no, no, don't pursue unattainable goals. It will mess you up. And I thought, well, then why is Paul telling us to do this when he knows it's unattainable? And I thought of at least three reasons that, for me, are super compelling. 
The first is that it's for my best interest. It's for my joy. Like the pursuit of knowing Jesus is for my joy. Like he made me, he knows me. Everything that he would tell me to do and direct me to do, everything he'd reveal about himself is for my best interest and I want what's best for me. And he knows what's best for me. So at the very least, at pursuing this unattainable goal, even if he can't get there, even if Paul couldn't get there, he knew, man, if I pursue Jesus this way, it's gonna minister to me. Second thing I'd say, it's actually for the joy of others. Because if you're making it your aim to know Jesus and know Jesus and pursue him and become like him, what's gonna happen is he's gonna change you. And when he changes you, he changes the people and all the relationships that you have. You're gonna be a better husband, a better friend. You're gonna be a better coworker. You're gonna care for the world in a different way than you would before because Jesus has transformed you to change, to be more like him and have his desires for the world. Like pursuing this unattainable goal is worth it because it's gonna change the people around you and all the relationships that you have and how God can use you. And the third one, which actually for me is most compelling and in a minute we'll end focusing on this a bit, is that it's actually going to be attained. So it's unattainable but it's only unattainable in this life because the hope that Paul had, and you're gonna see this even next week in the passage that we'll teach, that he had a hope that, that Jesus was going to do this. So he wanted to know Jesus and he wanted to be more like him, but he knew he couldn't get there, but he knew that one day in an instant on his death when he came to be before Jesus, that in that moment he would see Jesus face to face and he would know him fully and then he would be completely transformed to be like him. I won't get too much into it because Jake will be teaching on this next week, but you have to go just a little further down in Philippians 3 to verse 20 to read this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See his hope? He knew it was unattainable in this life, but he knew it was not only attainable, he knew it was sure, like this is going to happen because he's resting in the security that Jesus has given him. He knew he would be made like him. So for me, I'm very much willing to pursue what's unattainable because I know it's for my best interest, it's gonna help me bless others, and I know one day for certain that it will be attained because Jesus will do it. Jake spoke a few weeks ago about the different types of things, or the question that we need to ask when we see the word saved in the Bible, right? So he's saved, he said that we need to actually ask ourselves, saved from what? And so we know that there's a type of saving called salvation is a Christian word. Salvation, and that's when we put our faith in Jesus and we're saved from the penalty of sin. That's the moment we put our faith in Jesus. At that minute, we're saved from the penalty of sin. But then there's also what's called in the biblical word sanctification. This is what we do from the moment that we're saved until the day that we die, and that's the process of becoming more like him. And in sanctification, we're saved from the power of sin. You increasingly get free from the power of sin. But one day there's gonna be what the Christian word calls glorification, which is what Paul just described right here. But there's gonna be a day and a moment where we're gonna be just like him and we're free not only from the penalty but power, but now from the presence of sin. There will be no more sin in us or anywhere. Like that's the hope that Paul was clinging to that made it so he could say, hey, this is unattainable here, but it's not, but it's going to happen so I'm gonna keep pursuing it. I love that. And that motivates me to do the same. His goal was to become more like him. His goal was to know him. So if becoming like him is a goal worth pursuing, even if we can't attain it in this life, you might ask the question, how do we pursue that goal? And that's what Paul turns to next. He says we need to press forward 
or we'll fall back. Picking up again in verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ, which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, Paul said, yeah, I'm not there currently, but still, I'm gonna press on. Yes, I'm not there yet, and I, but I know that I will be there when Jesus makes me like him. So I'm gonna keep pressing on and moving forward and straining forward. See, Paul knew something about himself, and I think he knew something about the human condition, that if we're not pressing forward, we're quite naturally gonna be falling back. The way that I like to look at the spiritual life sometimes is like a, just an uphill movement or an uphill thing where you're like pushing a ball uphill, right? You're pushing the ball, and you're either gonna be going forward or because you're on that slope, if you're not going forward, you're rolling back. You might occasionally hit a plateau, a place where you can rest for a day or a time or a season. But for the most part, in our spiritual lives, we're either pressing forward or we're falling back. And so I just wanted to, to ask you just to assess in your own lives, where, where are you now? Are you pressing forward in this time right now? Are you moving up the mountain, maybe, maybe with like great momentum right now, which would be great? Maybe you're moving up the mountain and it's just a step at a time, which is also great. Would you maybe say that, no, I've been actually falling back. I've not been pressing forward. I've, I've been falling back a bit. Or maybe you look and say, where I am now is not where I was a time ago. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you are right now. What matters is that you take the next step and that you press forward and take the next step. And one of the key things that he says that we need to do in taking the next step is, is pressing forward, but there's this whole idea, too, of forgetting what's behind, like moving past where you've already been. And that means like forgetting the highs and forgetting the lows and forgetting the plateaus. Like we're called to forget all of them. Like if you've had like a great spiritual high, you don't just rest in that high and say, well, well now I've arrived or this is the best that it's ever going to be. Paul would say, no, like you press on and you get to know more and more and experience more of him. So he'd say to the people that are on a high right now, he'd say, forget the highs. It's a good reminder for those who are you know, pretty active in their faith that one of the things that can happen over time in our pursuit of knowing God is that we can get a little bit off base. Uh, it looks like pursuing God maybe from the outside, but if we're honest in our hearts, it's not really pursuing God on the inside. Knowing God becomes, like we said, suddenly slips into being like knowing about God rather than just knowing Him. Or even doing ministry becomes more of performing for God. And before we know it, we're, we're slipping into thinking that we're earning God's favor rather than responding in God's grace. So Paul would say to those who've had spiritual highs, he'd say, man, forget your highs. Like, press on toward Jesus anew today. People with spiritual highs are tempted to believe that they've reached the top of the mountain already. They think that they're good enough or they're tempted to believe that they no longer need God's grace. So Paul would say to those that are on a high or have experienced highs, receive God's grace, forget the past, and press forward to know Jesus anew today. I think when he thinks of the lows, maybe you're, you identified with the lows. If you're experiencing spiritual low, that's a good reminder for those that are wandering, maybe wandering in their faith. One of the things that can happen over time in our, in our spiritual journey is our pursuit of knowing God can just grow cold. Uh, maybe it's a time of busyness. Maybe it's a time where if you're honestly would assess that maybe wealth or the trying to establish a career has suddenly become a higher priority than your faith and your love has grown cold. Or maybe it's that you kind of started to distance yourself from Christian community. 
And what starts from a, a week away from it or a month away from it turns into months and months, if not years, where you've walked away from the faith of people who will continue to help you press on. Maybe it's being caught in some sort of a habitual sin that brings you down and causes you a low. If that's where you are, Paul would say the same thing. Press on to know Jesus anew today. Like, take the next step forward. Lows are tempted to believe that they've fallen too low and that God won't have them back. They're tempted to believe that they have to earn their way back or do some things to get back in God's favor before they can start moving up the mountain, so to speak. But those in the lows, God would say, receive God's grace, forget the past, and renew, seek, not seek anew, press on to know Jesus. Or even for the plateaus, it's a good reminder for those who think that they may be done just good enough to stay ahead of the lows, but maybe they've lost interest in aspiring to get higher or to have another experience with God. It happens when you've decided certain areas of your life that you'll obey Him in certain areas that you won't. It's when you've kind of predetermined there's some no's in your life where this is kind of off limits where God to ask me to do this with my time or my money or my career or anything. Where you've kind of predetermined a no, you've, you've plateaued and said this is just kind of where I want to stay. For those who have plateaued, Paul would say the same. Forget the plateaus. Press on to know Jesus anew today. Plateaus are particularly tempted uh, to believe that they already know enough about God. They've got enough. Or what they're, do, what they're tempted to believe is to believe that people that are on spiritual highs or higher than them, they just have like a special calling or a special gift and that's for them and they're supposed to stay where they are. So Paul would say to those who've plateaued, receive God's grace, forget the past, and know, uh, seek to press on to know Jesus anew today. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter where you've been, in the past, the call is to press forward and take the next step. So you might just ask yourself, like, like, what would be a next step right now? What would be a tangible next step? And you could probably list a hundred things, but I think of them primarily in three categories that would be helpful as you think about next steps for wherever you are. The first is Christian community. Like, how do you actually take steps? How do you press forward? One way you press forward is by committing yourself to being Christian community. Because you can't walk this walk, you can't hike that mountain, so to speak, you can't grow spiritually without brothers and sisters alongside you that are pushing you and spurring you on, some that are more mature in their faith, that are inspiring you, that you want to be like them, others that are peers with you, that are helping walk with you, others behind you that you're calling forward, like we need each other in Christian community. We can't do this without each other. God wouldn't call us to. And so perhaps if like you're thinking about a next step, what if a next step is you're pretty irregular here on Sunday? Well, maybe it's make a commitment to be here regularly. Like, come worship with us and fellowship with us and be here regularly. Take the next step in participating in Christian community. Or maybe you're part of the church, but you've not yet connected in one of our midtown communities, which are little small groups that meet in homes throughout the week. Like, take the next step and, and join what we call an MC, a midtown community. Join one of those. Or maybe you're in an MC, but truth is that you're pretty sporadic in your attendance. Like, one step and way to press forward is say, hey, I'm going to be here almost every week. Like, I'm pressing forward in my commitment to walk in Christian community. Like, we need each other. That's one simple way. Think about some ways maybe you could press forward in your connection with Christian community. Another way is spiritual disciplines. As in any relationship that we have, right, it takes time. Like any relationship that you have, the, the basis of how you're going to grow that relationship is you're going to spend time together. Spiritual disciplines is not much more than actually spending time with God. It's that process, like I said earlier, of, of talking with God and listening to God and hearing how He's directing you to live your life. Like, that's what we're called to do. We need these spiritual disciplines, things like Bible study and prayer 
and fasting and silence and solitude and worship. Like those are the simple means by which God allows us to get to know him better and thus become more like him. We need spiritual disciplines. So perhaps you're, you're in a stage right now where you're not actually spending time with God very often. Well, just try to set aside 10 minutes, like 10 minutes to read a chapter of the Bible, to reflect on it and pray things that God puts on your heart. Maybe you're already doing it for 10 minutes and the next step for you to press forward so you don't fall back is go up to 20 minutes. Maybe you're at a plateau and what you need is actually to completely shake up what you're doing with your time with God because you need something new to revive your heart. Spiritual disciplines are always going to be a part of what God uses to help transform us to know Him and become like Him. And finally, I'd say personal ministry. God makes Him known to you in incredible ways when you take steps of faith to obey Him in something He's calling you to do or to serve with Him some community or some person, whether it be your roommate or a classmate, whether it be a nonprofit that you, you serve with, whether it be volunteering at one of the things within our church. Like one of the most powerful ways that God will actually help you get to know Him is when you step out of faith and do something that He's told you to do. So if there's something that God's put on your heart to do, do it. You'll experience God by doing it. If there's something God's told you not to do, stop doing it. You'll experience God by forsaking that and giving it up. If it's something that God's calling you to do or a place to serve or someone to, to reach out to, like you will experience and know God when you actually take those steps of faith when you're scared and don't want to do it, but when you step out and do it, it's amazing how you'll experience God in that moment. Some of the scariest moments I've ever experienced is knocking on doors and inviting neighbors to a supper club. You know, it's just like, man, I'm stepping into this, like so scared, but man, do I know Jesus more when I take a step and do something like that. Some of y'all are a part of our um, MCs or our huddles. We've been talking about in our MCs and huddles this whole idea of doing supper clubs during the month of April. And so I would really just encourage you to, if you haven't prayed about it, to pray about it. Or if you've said, you don't feel like God's calling you to do it, I'd ask you to pray about it one more time. And just think, is there like one step that I could take that would actually help me experience God and know God by stepping out and trying this, even with just one neighbor or one friend? When we step out and serve, when we join the First Impressions team, like, like Suzanne shared, when we serve on Sunday mornings in different ways, that's a tangible way for you to know God. Those are three broad categories, but I see that God uses all of them. I would encourage you as you think about application, think about what next step you could take in Christian community, your spiritual disciplines, and your personal ministry to help know God and experience Him so you'll become more like Him. As we close here, I want to make a couple points of application. There's something that I hope today you would believe, something that I hope that you would know, and something I hope you would do. As for believe, you can know and experience Jesus more than you currently do. Like, I really want you to believe that, that Jesus is inexhaustible. Like, there's more for you. There's more for you the rest of your life till you're 90 years old like my friend Bill and still doing it. I want you to, to know that if you're not pressing forward, you're likely going to be falling back. We have to press forward. And then what we need to do is we need to press forward by faith by taking tangible steps in these three areas that I've mentioned. Remember the roller coaster we were thinking about? Wouldn't it be awesome if there was, like, no roller coaster? like the rest of your life was just a steady progression of walking with God by faith? I believe that Paul said there didn't, doesn't need to be a roller coaster. Like we can continually progress to know him and become like him and we can see this change in our lives from whatever age we are now till we're 90 years old or until we die, like literally. There doesn't need to be the roller coaster if we continue to forget what's behind and press on towards what ahead and imagine what that would be like for us. 
I do want to take a quick concession on that just to say that I recognize that there, there can be what a lot of the authors in uh, previous uh, centuries even wrote. They were called the Desert Fathers, and they talked about there often being like a dark night of the soul. And that's a time in your spiritual life where maybe it's just, it just feels really dry, and God's actually using a dry time to birth something new in you. The difference, though, between that and the spiritual low is during these dark nights of the soul, you're still pursuing God. Like, you're striving for Him. You're doing the disciplines. You're in Christian community. You're doing personal ministry. But even then, there's a darkness, and sometimes that happens to us. And so I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about, though, is that there doesn't need to be lows. Lows where we're outside of Christian community. Lows where we're abandoning the disciplines. Lows where we're not doing personal ministry and the things that actually help us press on. That's very different. So imagine a life where maybe there's a dark night of the soul, but there's never a low. There's never a plateau because you're continuing to press on to know Him. That's what we can do. That's what Paul's calling us to do. But I left out my favorite and most important part of all the Scripture. So we'll look at it now. It's Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have been arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Like this is the hope. What Paul wasn't saying, he wasn't saying that, that he had to do this by his own merit. He was convinced that his aim to know God was going to happen, that God was going to do it because he was the one who sovereignly did it in him. As much as he was pressing on to take hold of Jesus, he understood that it was actually Jesus who had taken hold of him. And so he wasn't laboring trying to earn God's favor. He wasn't laboring trying to know Christ, thinking that he might miss out if he didn't. He was laboring with the confidence and the security that Jesus had purchased it for him. Jesus had already taken hold of him. This was going to happen at his glorification like we read about earlier. And so he wasn't laboring trying to make his way and strive his way. I'm not asking you guys to press forward in a way that's trying to earn your way back to God. I'm not asking you to press forward that way. The way that we press forward is a completely different motive. It's from a motive of knowing that this is going to happen. It's moving forward, knowing and worshiping Jesus because we want to know him because he, we love him so much because he secured this for us. We're taking hold of the one who's already taken hold of us. It makes us press on more diligently because we're so amazed at what he's secured for us. It changes our motives so that our striving to know him is not by our own effort but, or to earn his favor, but it's a joy-filled response into what he's already secured for us. We will be made like him if we put our faith in him. And so as we come to a time of communion, that's what I want us to reflect on, is to remember that truth as much as we want to press forward in any way to remember that it's actually Christ who's taken hold of us. And we want to take hold of him only because he's the one that's taken hold of us. So on the night that he was betrayed, he was with his disciples and he took the bread and he took the, the cup and he said, I'm declaring to you guys a new covenant. This was, he was reflecting on the old covenant that was the way that you, you earn God's favor. He's saying, I'm giving you a new covenant. And this new covenant is a covenant of grace that you will receive just by putting your faith in me. My body will be broken for you. My blood will be spilled for you. And, and as you take this, he says, remember me. Remember that I'm the one who's taken hold of you. We're going to sing some songs of worship that actually express that. And I hope that you would sing it with your heart and let it come home to be true that Christ has taken hold of you and let that motivate you to want to press forward and take hold of him. Let's close in prayer in some time of worship. Father, you have taken hold of us. Let us today rejoice in that 
in a way that stirs our hearts to, to press on to take hold of you. We do want to know you and we do want to become like you. We pray that we would uh, be a church that, that does press on to know you and become like you. You're the prize and you're worth pursuing. Speak to every person individually, even in this time of worship and reflection. We invite you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.